Well, there's no doubt that the pro and open class cars here at World Time Attack Challenge are exciting to watch. The problem with these cars is that the amount of money that needs to be poured into them makes them completely unrelatable to a lot of home enthusiasts. Now, we're here with Benjamin from Benchmark Solutions with the ERS Mitsubishi Evo running in the Club Sprint class. Now, this Club Sprint class is a very competitive class, very limited on the sort of modifications that can be made and this means that the cars that are racing are a lot more like what you'd expect to see out on the street or at your local club level race meets. Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes, we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech-filled interviews with some of the industry's most well-known figures for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge. So for a start, we've already covered this car last year, Benjamin. I want to cover some of the changes that have been made to it, but before that, it's probably important to mention that it's going pretty well here at World Time Attack Challenge. How, uh, how's it placed at the moment? Uh, we're doing really well, heading into the shootout for Club Sprint. We're currently number one, um, just just in front of Elusive Racing Integra. So it's been a tight battle. Two, two thousandths? Yeah, about that. It's been back and forth the whole weekend, so it's good fun. Keeps All right. on your toes. All right, still, still shootout to go, so yeah, you're going to have to stay on your, on oh, your toes. Now, in terms of the changes that, that you've made, let's, let's just start with the problems you sort of were facing last yeah. year with the car. What, why, why did you need to make changes? Uh, so last year, as a lot of you would have seen, we had a, a fire issue. Uh, the car basically split a turbo gasket, and uh, that caused an oil line to, to rupture, burnt the front of the car apart. Um, so it was a rebuild from there, but also focused some changes on areas that would make it more reliable. So in terms of getting more reliability out of this, this is a problem we do see a lot with uh, turbo gaskets mm. failing. Yep. Uh, so how do you deal with that? What have you done? So we moved away from anything uh, that could fail, so no gaskets and no studs and nuts. So it's now V-band flanges on the turbo to manifold to dump pipe and to wastegate. It makes sense, but the problem with that is that it takes you away from the ability to run a, a split pulse exhaust yep. housing. You, you're kind of confined then to a single entry exhaust housing. Uh, there's a pretty good argument there that the split pulse exhaust housing can give improved response with uh, the same size turbocharger compared to a single scroll. So how did that sort of drive your turbo choice? Okay, so last year we were running the 7670 from uh, EFR Borgwana, and uh, whilst producing great results. Uh, at the same time, we had a feeling it was choking on the engine with the RPM required. So this time we've gone to a Garrett uh, Gen 2 3576 in the 83 rear. Uh, this had little to no losses under the curve um, before peak boost, and then everywhere from there is gains per pound. So essentially very similar boost response. You're yeah. seeing peak boost around about the same area, yeah. but from there on, more power? Yeah, so it's about two to three, it's about two to 250 RPM if you're just measuring pound for pound, but the torque differences are quite close. So even though the boost threshold's a little bit later, the torque delivery, you don't, you don't feel it, and the extra flow in the turbine side is just an, 
another level. So. And the other thing here we do need to consider is turbo sizing for a circuit car where the driver knows for any given corner, any part of the track, what gear they're going to be in. Generally, you're staying in a higher rev range. So I wouldn't say that boost response is irrelevant, but a little bit less of a consideration compared to a street car where response is so yeah, critical. Is that fair? Yeah, it is. And this track is definitely the, the largest out of all the tracks this car races on. So boost response is a very big key still because the other tracks um, further down south are a lot more focused on tighter and, and corner exits. So we were a little bit concerned how it would affect um, because this is once a year event here, but the rest of the events are held on tighter tracks. But it, it hasn't been as bad as what we initially thought. All right, so in terms of power and boost, what, what are you actually running? Where did you get to? Yeah, so on the EFR, we're around 380 kilowatts of the wheels, three to four, just under 400. Uh, the Garrett, we're able to get a bit more out of it, so we're at 440 uh, on about 36, 37 pound. And is that basically all in? There's nothing yeah. left in it? Yeah, no, we're out of t- uh, compressor. The turbine still wants to keep going, but the compressor's, yeah, all over. Is there actually going to be benefits in this class with the limitations on making more power or sort of does it become a a diminishing return there? Yeah, interesting point. So I've been working with the driver. Uh, We actually were pulling power out of the car. Now now we rectify the engine issues. Uh, We pulled power back to uh, gate pressure, about 290 to 300, uh, and we were making uh, suspension and driver changes, focusing on that because we found we were going backwards, adding more power in. Uh, And once we rectified that and the driver got dialed in suspension chassis, we were at our PB level on 110 kilowatts less boost. I think that's a really important point you make that's so easily overlooked. A lot of people go to the racetrack and try and fix uh, problems with a poor lap time by just adding more power. But of course, if you've got a car that's not handling right, add more power and it just makes a, a bad handling car just, just even worse, which can be dangerous. Yeah. Now, you just mentioned some engine issues. Can you yeah. talk us through that side of things? Uh, yeah, so we had, um, this engine was quite reliable for nearly 18 months, um, did quite a few track days, was pushed hard, uh, we suspect we had a cracked head last week on testing and kind of validated that on Monday, just out of control temperatures and pre- coolant pressures, so the boys at ERS pulled an all-nighter this week and they had a spare 2.3 crate motor on on the stand, so we put that in, which I think we'll, we, we talked about running that later in the year, uh, just with extra capacity for the tighter tracks and the different turbo choice. Uh, it's worked really well. Uh, the head now is uh, a, a lot better. It's put together by Mixed Motorsports again. Um, slightly different head package, a little bit more compression, a little bit more capacity, uh, and the cam size has stepped up to match the inlet manifold. And yeah, so. Are you still running the MyVet cam control? Yeah, variable cam control. Uh, with the larger cam, though, it's really working exceptional now to make, make use of the of the RPM range. With the larger cam, does that actually limit the amount of movement you're, uh, you're, you can use on the inlet cam, or are you still get allowed the maximum? Uh, no, so I pulled it back five degrees uh, just because of the, the maximum. So it's basically set a cam limit, uh, and I think like mid-20 degrees is now instead of about 32, 33. So. Alright, so in terms of the rest of the system there as well, you've made some changes to the intercooler plumbing and specifically around the throttle body, which is interesting because I see uh, a lot of debate about throttle body sizing, a lot of people going with uh, just basically bigger is better. Not always the way. Can you give us your insight on that? Yeah, so um, I, I basically like to size the throttle body off similar to your turbo uh, inducer size on your compressor. So the car was running an 82mm Bosch drive-by-wire on a hypertune plenum. Um, a lot of thought around just adjusting the throttle plate angle to effectively smaller uh, reduce the size of the throttle. Um, in our experience it doesn't always work and it's not too effective so we actually have gone down to a 68mm 
uh, throttle body. Um, downsize the intercooler piping again to match. Um, down nearly an inch in size, uh, and yeah, so about three to four hundred RPM of um, of torque gained in the lower end of the rev range. So I think most people at 440 kilowatts at the wheels would probably think on oh, face value 68 millimeter throttle body is too small. You don't feel that's restricting your own power at all? No, it's actually probably a bit too big. We would like to have gone out to a 58 to 60 mil, um, but there just wasn't available from Bosch. They're off the shelf 68 mil is easy to work with, um, readily available for parts. Um, it's a good compromise because uh, we th- think the car will probably end up with a bigger turbo. We might probably go to a G35 when they come out. So. Sounds like a, a natural <laughs> progression. All right, talking about the, the rest of the car there, in terms of the transmission, what are you running? Uh, runs an Albans um, H pattern dog engagement. Uh, yeah. So you're limited in the club circuit cast to non-sequential gearboxes? Yeah, that's correct. So it's got to say H pattern gearbox. Um, this year we've added a Hollinger HGK H um, flat shift knob. So that's running through the Motec M150 um, and uh, flat upshift changes. Um, driver can just keep it pinned and just grab gears. So. A little bit more challenging with the H pattern shift pattern though with those flat shifts because if you get it wrong you can end up going straight from the top of let's say fourth gear uh, back down into the wrong gear. Not not really a good look. Yeah, no, it's interesting. On the dyno is always a bit of a pucker moment the first few times you grab the gears and then uh, testing on the roads uh, it's interesting. You've got to commit with with the H pattern and you just got to just send it to the next gear it's yeah luckily you try not to do it with the customer next year basically now in terms of the rest of the transmission there you've also got a uh, controllable center diff active yep. center diff yep. and I just want to get some insight into how you're using that uh, with the MoTeC ECU in terms of controlling it and where the, the benefits are yeah so the ECU takes um, all the chassis inputs so we've got four wheel speeds steering angle your normal brake and throttle uh, and some G, G inputs uh, it then uses that to determine clamp load based on acceleration and braking uh, and steering angle uh, and then the driver has on the keypad a multi-position uh, driver switch so he can run up to nine different diff maps we usually use two to three around the track depending on how he's feeling and the track condition uh, but yeah it's, it's actually really effective uh, yeah it works exceptional it's been one of the biggest changes once we've dialed that in nicely to uh, to us consistently running good times in terms of the electronic side of that, are you running a separate diff controller or are you integrating this with the ECU? No, it's all integrated in the M150. It handles um, everything. Uh, so that's the Motec M150 just for those who, yeah, who aren't yeah. following along? Yeah, Motec M150. It runs a custom firmware from an Australian company. Um, everything's all in-house. Um, yeah, the dash, the dash is just display. Everything's through the ECU. So again, just for those who kind of really aren't familiar with the M150, it's quite unique in that really you can buy it from MoTeC with off-the-shelf firmware to run most things, and then you've also got the ability to buy a custom firmware or write your own custom firmware to do what you want, and that's what you're talking about here. So this isn't something that is available from MoTeC. This is a third-party firmware package. Yeah, that's right. So MoTeC have their own MDC diff controller, which, which is really effective. Uh, we just like to have everything in the one house for logability and tunability, uh, and then we've just found that while the most packages cover everything nicely uh, for applications like this where you want a little bit more control in the central location it works exceptionally well Sounds like a great package. Look, you've got the shootout coming up. It's great to hear a little bit more about the car. We wish you all the best and hopefully you can stay on top. Cheers for the chat. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to helping us get the word out there. All these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe.